What's up, guys? Um, Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride. I'm sure you all know me now. Uh, obviously, a little bit of a different tune to start the uh, the podcast off this time around. This is the first time I've been able to get on the mic and talk to you guys since the whole John Gruden stuff has kind of unfolded. So, um, obviously, that's a pretty serious matter and whatnot. And I've kind of felt like to just ignore it would be kind of wrong, especially... You know, since this is the team that I'm a fan of, I support, and I obviously, you know, write about and podcast about and whatnot. I feel like I, I feel like I had to talk about it. Now, if if you don't want to listen, you don't want to hear my thoughts on John Gruden. Hey, I totally get it. I totally understand. I'm gonna put the uh, timestamp in the pro in the podcast uh, description of when Joe and I get into the actual football talk. So if you want to just mash that 15 second button, go ahead and skip ahead. Not hurting my feelings or anything like that. I completely understand. I completely get it. Um, but again, I just felt like it would kind of be remiss of me to uh, not address it. So I'm going to give everybody one more chance to just go ahead and skip. You know, if this is something that you don't want to hear about anymore, I don't blame you. But um, I would appreciate it if you just, you know, skip off or skip on to to the actual football talk. And, um, you know, we don't touch on the John Gruden scenario. I'm just going to do a little monologue here for for the beginning. But here we go. When the email came out on Friday with the uh, racist remarks towards Demar Smith, um, you know, I was definitely taken aback by it. And I mean, I, I mean, to, if you're out there defending John Gruden, trying to say that that wasn't a racing comment, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're just wrong. Like, I'm not going to dive into uh, all that stuff. But that's just, you don't say that, especially about someone who is black. I mean, flat out, like that's, that's absolutely wrong, and it it absolutely was a racist comment. But I will say, you know, I I thought it was something, you know, given the given the time frame. I think there was a little. I thought at the time frame there was a little weight to the argument of, you know, he should definitely be punished and suspended for this. But I wasn't going to be out there and calling for his job. And I will say, I thought it was a little bit of chicken shit for uh, Mark Davis to let him coach the game. And I mean, we saw the results. That was the team that was. Looked like it was lacking, you know, leadership from the guy that's supposed to be the biggest leader on out there. And as much as John Gruden wants to deny that it didn't have uh, an impact on the game in the post game press conference, I feel like him resigning is basically him admitting that it's obviously affecting the, the team. And I think he even said that in his statement when he resigned. But that definitely took me aback. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that you know, I know I'm not breaking any ground here, and hasn't been said before. If you're in the camp of it wasn't racist and you're not in the group that this comment affects, you really don't have a say. Like, you don't have the perspective of someone who has been impacted by that. And you never will. I, I'm i white as paste. I'm never going to understand what those words mean. So if someone was of color, if a black person was telling me that, you know, he or felt the way that they were... Um, that Gruden should be resign should have be forced to resign or be fired or whatnot because of those comments alone. I never really think it's anybody's place to tell that person that they're wrong. Um, you know, who knows what would have happened if that was the only thing. But then when Monday hit and you know there was all the the sexist and the homophobic comments, I, it was absolutely. I mean, the guy was done for me. Uh, like, and his whole little you know, bullshit excuse of I was just upset about the uh, 
the lockout and whatnot, which was a weird excuse anyway. I mean, I don't think it was a good excuse anyway. Um, was just completely proven false when he's making comments about stuff that's completely unrelated about, you know, Michael Sam being in the NFL, calling him gay slurs, calling Goodell gay slurs, which I guess you could say was tied to the lockout. But I mean, control your freaking emotions, man. Like tone it back. You know, you can't say these things. You know, this is wrong to say that and whatnot. And I think one of the things that a lot of people are kind of missing with the whole, well, if you have, it was an email, it was a private conversation. I bet if we go through your emails from 10 years ago, you'd probably get fired too. Well, one, I don't know what emails you you are sending, but I would be very confident you wouldn't find anything like that in my emails. Um, but I think one of the biggest things for me is like, I've always been taught or told that character was kind of what you do behind closed doors, right? You know, who you really are as a person is what you do when nobody's looking. And to me, when that's kind of comes to light when Gruden makes these comments that I'm sure when he made them, he didn't think they were going to ever come to light and everybody would ever know about them. I mean, at least I would, I would hope at least that he wouldn't, you know, think that maybe, Hey, maybe these one day, these are going to cost me a job and still send them. But who knows? Maybe he is that dumb. He was dumb enough to put it on the internet in the first place and send it to someone's work email. So there is that, but, um, you know, so when I see these comments and when I see these things that are supposed to be a private conversation, I don't really understand why that's an excuse. Like, why is it that you can just say whatever the hell you want when you think nobody is listening? Like, that's contradictory to everything I've learned when it comes to character growing up. That, to me, is a man of low character. And that, to me, is a man of low morals. And I just, it's frustrating to me because... John Gruden, you know, the persona that he puts out, you know, as many flaws and as many frustrations I get him as a football coach, he puts out this, you know, happy-go-lucky guy that is all energy, all football all the time. And, you know, that's not who he was in those emails. That was the absolute opposite. And it's frustrating that it's like, okay, so you're was this all for the cameras or is this how you really are? Because what we're seeing when you aren't don't have a spotlight on you is the contra is contradictory and whatnot. And I think, you know, you have to look at it from a perspective of a guy like a Carl Nassa would be a good example. I talked about the homophobic slurs that Gruden had used in his emails. And to Gruden's credit, Gruden publicly with the Carl Nassa situation, I thought handled it perfectly. I thought he talked about it. I thought he showed support for his player and everything like that. And I also thought he stopped talking about it at the same time where he didn't kind of make it feel like a dog and pony show when he just kind of made it normal, which is how it should be. But if you're Carl Nassib right now and you see that, I'm sure you felt really good about Gruden and, you know, felt like supported and whatnot. But then you see what Gruden says about Michael Sam, you know, taking away from Michael Sam as a player and the Rams and whatnot. And basically suggesting that the only reason Michael Sam got drafted was because the NFL or Goodell forced him to or forced the Rams to and whatnot. And then also throwing in, you know, a homophobic slur. So I feel like if you're Carl Nassib right now, you probably got to be thinking to yourself, who is this guy? And I mean, again, if you want to talk about how it affects the team and if you're on the, the camp or whatever, the weird stance of, you know, I only care about him as a football coach. That affects as a football coach. Guys, these are human beings. These are people with feelings. These are people that 
have differences and whatnot. And guess what? When they, so when something happens that some people on social media are pissed off about, those players might not be tweeting about it or whatnot or sharing on social media. But I can tell you there are a few that guys that look John and Gruden a little bit differently on Sunday when they walked into the locker room and saw him for the first time or whenever that was. I can guarantee you it. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was a large majority of the team. And I think, you know, the overarching point here is there's just no place in for any of Gruden's comments or any of the ridiculous and just stupid shit that he said um, to or in the country. Sorry, there's lost my train of thought there. There's no place for it in the country. There's no place for it in football. And there certainly isn't a no place for it in the NFL. And I think for me, you know, another thing I was taught when I was growing up was playing football is a privilege. Playing football for me in college was a privilege. That was never a right. That was never something I was entitled to. I was held to a higher standard because I was a football player. You know, whether it was youth football or whether it was a, at a small Division three school and certainly not to the level of the NFL. And coaching and playing in the NFL is a privilege. It's an absolute privilege. And when you do things that are basically flat out wrong, you lose that privilege. Privilege, excuse me. And that's where I'm kind of at in the stance of John Gruden deserved to lose his job. And the only person John Gruden has to blame is John Gruden. Don't blame the New York Times. Don't blame the reporter that built that, um, you know, found the emails and leaked it or whatnot. Don't blame the person who leaked that to the reporter. You blame John Gruden. John Gruden's email is on that as a signature and he has owned up to it to his credit. He has not run from it except for his little bullshit excuses, which have kind of, you know, been the theme throughout the Gruden, Gruden 2.0 era, even on the field. So I think to to try and let him off the hook is just wrong. And I mean, Gruden isn't even letting himself off the hook at this point, right? He resigned. He realized what he was doing was wrong. What he did is wrong. And he realized it not only affected his, you know, him or him as a status, but he affect, it was affecting the team and his players. And I just don't understand how people can continue to defend a guy that is literally admitting his wrong at this point. And at the end of the day, like Gruden deserved to lose his job. Gruden dug his own hole. And the other thing I'm curious about, you know, I kind of hinted out it too, is I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to end up being found, you know, somewhat complicit in the whole Washington football team scandal that they have going on with sexual harassment. I mean, there were talks in the New York Times article that Gruden and Allen were exchanging, or at least Allen was sending Gruden uh topless pictures of the uh, Washington football team's cheerleaders, which, if you remember, was a big part of the whole sexual harassment thing that they had going on. So if you're John Gruden, now maybe they weren't in there. There was no indication that they were a cheerleader. And you're getting an email of a nude picture of someone from the executive vice president of a football team, excuse me, the football team. And it's someone that is, let's be honest, is pretty low on the totem pole in the organization and certainly a lot lower than the ex executive vice president, that should set off some red flags there, Gruden. I think if I got that email, I could tell you, I'd be like, there's something going on here. So I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how that would all work, but it's definitely another thing that when you take all this into account, 
makes Gruden's legacy look even worse, which if uh, you saw what I wrote and whatnot on um, on the site, has been completely tarnished, which is ironic because Gruden's whole return to the Raiders has been to to disprove the uh, Tony Dungy's team or whatnot. The Tony Dungy's, uh, or Gruden did it with Tony Dungy's players to win the Super Bowl. So um, I think that's about wraps it up. Uh, hopefully uh, my response suffices what you guys um, are looking for. Um, you know, just kind of sharing my thoughts here. Um, you know, I understand everyone's not going to agree with me and whatnot, but definitely would appreciate your support and understanding. And, you know, within Raider Nation, we're, we're a diverse group. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we can all do is make sure we listen to each other and continue to grow as a, as a fan base and as a country and, you know, hopefully make all this stuff, you know, make these kind of people basically not, um, I don't even know what the, the words are, but basically eliminate these types of people from the world and, you know, make our world a little bit of a better place. So with that, let's get to some football. All right, Raider Nation, Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride. I've got my friend Joe Rouse from uh, Mile High Report, the SB Nation site that covers the Broncos. Joe, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Appreciate you having me on. Where, uh, before we get going, where can the people follow you? We're all football fans here. We need to check in on the ponies every now and again. So I know yeah. we're one of the better guys. Uh, so I am on Twitter at Joro underscore NFL. Uh, if you like listening to Broncos podcasts, I do cover two Broncos. And my stuff is over at Mile High Report. Awesome. Appreciate you, man. Well, hey, I always like to start these things out just talking about the team as a whole. And I mean, Raiders and Broncos kind of in a similar situation, you know, starting the year three and oh, I mean, I'll say that the Raiders three and oh is a little bit more impressive. You know what I mean? But uh, but then obviously dropping the last two games and two games that, um, you know, obviously were winnable for both. So I'm curious how you're feeling about the Broncos this so far this season. Is your mind changed at all since the skaters is kind of what you thought the whole way through? So kind of going into the year, uh, once I, you know, everybody kind of had to come to grips with the fact that Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to be a Bronco. Uh, <laughs> after that, I kind of came around to the idea that I, I thought the pieces were in place that barring injury luck kind of really going against the Broncos that they could win 11 games. Uh, that's kind of like, I know that's kind of like the caveat type of way to do it, but, but I do think the talent on the roster was good enough that this team could compete. The schedule is pretty soft outside the AFC West. Um, after Pittsburgh, I would say I'm definitely not as optimistic about the defense as I was before, uh, just because Matt Canada, there was definitely some plays where Matt Canada just got Fangio, uh, and that was definitely troubling. And then without, uh, Bradley Chubb, the pass rush has definitely kind of been a little bit lackluster compared to what I thought it was going to be. Um, I am more optimistic about Teddy Bridgewater than I thought I would be though. And I was pretty high on Bridgewater, but. He's looking pretty good outside of the Ravens game. Awesome. Well, I'm curious, you know, we'll get to Bridgewater in just a second, but I'm just curious, are you kind of still thinking the Broncos could make the playoffs? Because, I mean, I kind of feel like share the same sentiment for you as, uh, you know, I feel like the Broncos have had a good roster. It's just they've been missing that guy under center, and Teddy's been playing well. So are you kind of hoping they still make the playoffs then? I think it's a coin flip. Uh, I think it's one of those situations where, and I know we're only week six, but losing to the Steelers – knowing like where the AFC currently stands, it really hurts them. Uh, they're in a situation right now where they basically need to beat the Raiders both times. And then yeah. they have to kind of hope that Kansas city and LA, one of them stumbles a little bit. 
Um, and then even then Broncos are probably slipping in as like the seventh or maybe the sixth seed. Gotcha. Well, let's move on, get into the nitty gritty, getting talking about uh, some Teddy Bridgewater. And I saw a stat a couple of weeks ago, not, I don't think it's true quite so much anymore, but that Teddy Bridgewater is tied for the most deep attempts in the NFL. So I'm curious, has he just kind of changed and become Teddy two gloves, the Glenslinger now or what? Well, Part of it is that he's in the Pat Shermer offense and Pat Shermer likes to dial up shot plays. Um, and the Broncos have been doing it quite a bit, especially in the first three games. That's why the numbers kind of were uh, inflated a little bit. Um, but they were doing a lot of play action with like three receivers out in the routes. And then at that point, like Bridgewater didn't have anywhere else to go. So he's going to throw <laughs> it up. Um, it has come down a little bit, but he's still uh six in air rate uh, air yards per attempt though. So that's pretty okay. good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Like I said, going from the guy of being the, the check down is kind of similar. It's, it's funny how similar the the Raiders and Broncos season has been right. Two quarterbacks who kind of have that stigma about the check down guys. And then they're just chucking it up to this year, almost, almost to a fault, at least with that, with Derek Carr for a little bit in the last few games. But I am curious about how the QB competition between Bridgewater and Drew Walk kind of played out. Was that more of like uh lock losing the job or did Bridgewater just outplay him? I mean, kind of feel like it's the latter with the, how the seasons unfolded. Uh, so the way it was covered as it happened, um, the media reports kind of coming out of camp throughout camp was that it was like just super, super close. Um, the, the Broncos gave drew lock the first snap of training camp. So he was the, the beginning center or a beginning quarterback. And then he had the first preseason game against the Vikings third string defense. Uh, but I mean, by all accounts, everything I've seen, uh, drew lock definitely got beat. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater looked better in the preseason. Um, and then just kind of through the first five games, even with the, the hiccups the last couple weeks, like Teddy Bridgewater is playing at a level that Drew Locke has never sustained at any point. Um, so I, gotcha. I do think that Locke got beat and got beat handedly. Um, and it was one of those situations where last week there was some question about if Teddy Bridgewater is going to play against the Steelers because he was in concussion protocol. Um, all the reports and all the stuff that I was hearing coming out of Denver was that they were counting on Bridgewater to play because they were, they were up shit crick. If I don't know uh, if I can swear, but they were up crap crick if, uh, if Drew Locke had to play against Keith Butler. So, so Teddy Bridgewater is definitely the guy. Um, there's kind of like a corner of Broncos country. That's still kind of keeping this whole, like Drew Locke hasn't gotten a fair shot, <laughs> but, but by all means, like, I think everybody else has kind of accepted that Bridgewater is the quarterback this year. So you say he's the quarterback this year. Is he playing well enough that, you know, they might th- consider extending him? And is, have they fi- has Teddy Bridgewater finally been the answer to the Broncos quarterback problem? So there's kind of two, a couple parts to this that I like to describe. And I'm not trying to hedge, but <laughs> I would say that Teddy Bridgewater is the best quarterback the Broncos have had since Peyton Manning retired. Um, that saying that, that also says a lot about what the Broncos have had at quarterback for the last five years. Um, that said, Tate Bridgewater is playing quite well. Um, there are limitations, like again, and I know you've seen this. You're, you know, you you scout for sure. Uh, arm talents, pretty ordinary. Um, yeah. he wins. He wins with his head. He does a good job working through progression, stuff like that. Um, knowing kind of how iffy the 2022 quarterback class looks, it would make a lot of sense for the Broncos to extend him to kind of serve as the bridge. Um, but I don't think that they're done looking for a quarterback. So I guess like if you if you consider him a franchise guy, it kind of depends on your definition. I would say gotcha. he's not a franchise guy because I think you're still trying to find a young quarterback to take over. 
but he's good enough to win with in the short term. I guess uh, the way I would sum it up is he's extension worthy, not franchise worthy, right? Yep. That's, yep. I agree hundred percent. Gotcha. Well, we touched on the quarterback, so I got to move on to the weapons. And I'd say my first question would probably have more weight if Cortland Sutton didn't just go for 120 and a touchdown. But it seems like he kind of gotten off to a little bit of a slow start minus last Sunday and then week two against you know the Jags and whatnot. So I'm curious, uh, do you think that has to do with him coming off an injury or is he playing with a new, just playing with a new QB mixture of both? Or do you think he's just fine? And he's going to be that thousand yard receiver we saw a couple of years ago. I think his numbers are going to look pretty good by year's end, uh, just because he is coming back from the ACL reconstruction um, early in the season. They were, there's a lot of talk during camp that he wasn't looking the same as he had. Gotcha. Um, I don't know if he's quite as explosive as he was in 2019. I'd have to kind of like put the tape back to back. Um, doesn't seem like it, um, but that might also just be the competition that he's gone against where like he ended up matched up on James Bradbury at one point, And then uh, two weeks ago, he ended up on Marlon Humphrey quite a bit. Marlon Humphrey's yeah. pretty good. Not flying on uh, the radar anymore. Exactly. Um, but I would say that he's still pretty good. I, I still definitely hope the Broncos find a way to keep him. Um, <laughs> because I think if his knees hold up, like the ceiling is special. Yeah, for sure. Well, can you talk about, you know, him being such a special player? So I'm yeah. curious, you know, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Is he a little bit more of that contested catch type of guy, or is he more than that, just that? Uh, I mean, it starts there. Uh, that is one of the things that makes him really special is the fact that he's able to kind of go up and get those 50-50 balls in a way that I would say that it makes him normally like 60-40 type things. Um, that said, I am one of those people that when I go to, when it comes to scouting receivers, I prioritize separation quickness mm -hmm. uh, just because, if you're not creating separation, honestly, you're not going to win consistently enough in the 50, 50 type situations. And what made Cortland so special during 2019, he wasn't necessarily the quickest guy in terms of how he was creating separation, but his height and how big he is and how strong he is. And then the ability to kind of snap his routes. Um, he was explosive and he was still creating enough gotcha. space for guys like Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen to get him the ball. <laughs> um, and we're seeing glimpses of that again. Uh, so hopefully. Gotcha. Anytime we can bring up Joe Flacco on the, on the podcast, I have to get a little chuckle. You know what I mean? The, oh, I don't the, uh, the elite, the elite of, for PFT commentary. If, uh, shout out anybody else that, uh, follows PFT out there, but, uh, one of the most devastating injuries and one injury that was a non-rated injury that kind of broke my heart. Cause I really liked the guy too, was had to be Jerry Judy. And I think was it week one or two with that nasty sprained ankle, so can you kind of talk about what the Broncos are missing without Judy in the lineup and kind of who's replaced them, especially with the additional injury to, you know, KJ Hamler, who I believe was like the backup slot guy, if I can remember yeah. correctly. I mean, it's, it's been low key, a, a devastating part. Like it's been, when you look at what's happened to the Broncos offense the last two weeks. And again, I'm guilty of this too. It's easy to point the finger at Shermer. And again, he has his faults, but I don't think we are appreciating just how big a loss Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler really is. Just because, first of all, like KJ Hamler's receiving numbers themselves aren't anything like special. Like you look at him and you're like, oh, how they miss him. But what he was doing, he served his kind of gravity. I mean, you guys see this with Henry Ruggs every week. The way that they were using him to draw people away from other receivers or to create rubs for Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton was really, really helpful. And then losing Jerry Judy in and of itself. Jerry Judy was actually going to be the Broncos wide receiver one. Like everyone yeah. kind of, you know, you get stuck on Sutton, but the way camp was working, Judy was looking like he was going to be like a 1200 yard receiver because he just, he can create separation so easily and the hands were looking better. 
The route running looked better. The timing within the offense was better because he actually had a quarterback. So losing him has been really hard. Uh, as of now, and this is where Shermer kind of creeps into it. I expected the Broncos to go with more two tight end sets, more heavy stuff to try and make up for the fact that they don't have another receiver mm-hmm. on the roster. Um, after Sutton and Patrick, the next receivers they have, Kendall Hinton, who had his first career catch three weeks ago. Kendall Hinton. Yep. Former quarterback. Yeah. Uh, Deontay Spencer, who's five foot nine. He's a, re- he's a returner. Um, and then they've been elevating guys and signing guys. They signed David Moore, who used to be with the Seahawks, actually off of your guys' practice squad. But mm-hmm. but through the two games that, you know, since that happened, Kendall Hinton has received the most wide receiver three snaps. Like, he's receiving the most snaps. Broncos are still using 11 personnel about 66% of the time. Their third receiver across that span has, I want to say, three catches. David Moore, Deontay Spencer, Kendall Hinton have three catches. Wow. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, that uh, the Kendall Hinton story is kind of awesome. It's kind of been a little it bit is. in the wash, but like to you know for him to step up in, in that moment when the team needed him last year, and then to be able to get his shot this year. I mean, that's an awesome story. I hope it really works out for him, even though he is uh, obviously a Bronco. But I'm curious: is there any word on how uh, Judy's rehab's going and it, when he'll be back on the field? Yeah, it's looking like Cleveland. Um, although the Broncos have Cleveland on a short week, so they play the Raiders obviously this weekend, and then they what turn around. Did. And then they turn around and play Cleveland on Thursday night football. The hope is Judy practiced and or didn't practice. Judy stretched with the team before the Steelers game. So we're going to probably start to hear about him being at practice this week. Okay. But I would be surprised if they started him against the Raiders. And then the fact that there's only three days of practice before the Browns game, I'm expecting it after, but he's, he is trending towards playing pretty soon. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye on that injury report then, because uh, or is it kind of there? He's on IR, right? So they're doing that. He's on. Yeah, he's on. That. Yep. They'll activate him and they'll kind of play that game. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Raiders know that well. We uh, they uh, like to start with a. Uh, they started with like five guys on IR when, this year and have already had to bring back two of them. So know the pain. But Tim Patrick, you brought him up a little bit. Uh, he's a guy that I think a lot of people don't know about outside of Denver, but he's actually been pretty productive for the Broncos over the last few years. Can you talk about what he brings to the table and what to expect from him? Uh, I would say really overly simplistic. The oversimplistic way to kind of describe him is like a, like 85% of what you get with Cortland Sutton healthy. Um, gotcha. Very tall, does a really good job using his body to for, to protect the ball, create, you know, out-rebound for the ball. Um where the difference between him and Sutton is, is I would say Tim Patrick is fast in a straight line. Um, very good at breaking down off of like a go route to like a comeback, her, a curl, hitch, stuff like that. Um, he's not as good at creating separation on a, like a horizontal plane like Judy or Hamler is. Um, he's effective. Like he's effective on slant, stuff like that. But like he's not a guy you want snapping and trying to create a, separa- a separation on like a 90 degree cut. Gotcha. And I'm also curious about Noah Fant. It kind of feels like he's been up and down throughout his young career where, you know, he'll have a game or two where you think like, okay, this guy's going to be, you know, one of the next great tight ends in this league. And then he kind of seems like he kind of falls away and, um, you know, disappears for a few games. I'm just curious, would you agree with that statement or am I just doing too much kind of box score scouting or what is a, what's the deal going on with Fant over there? I definitely think it's fair. Um, I think that there is some like, kind of like, there's parts to this that kind of make up for it though. Cause I don't think it's necessarily fan disappointing so much as the fact that first of all, last year he, he didn't have a quarterback. He had drew lock. Then he had Jeff Driscoll who 
I don't even, there's no words. <laughs> um, and then Brett Rippon, who is at best, you know, a quarterback three. And I like Brad Rippon, but he's, he's not a guy you want in games. Right. And then Kendall Hinton. Whereas this year, and again, I've been surprised by the fact that Noah Fan hasn't been more productive this year. But part of it is the Broncos have kept him into block quite a bit. Uh, the Broncos have also used him a lot as like a dump off guy. More, more yeah, than sure. I expected them to. Considering that the stre- like the strengths Noah Fant brings to the table are the fact that he's 6'4", 250 pounds, and he runs like a wide receiver. Like right. he's an elite athlete, and he can create separation. He's faster likewise. than Cortland Sutton, is he? Yes, and he can yeah. jump higher than Cortland Sutton is. Like, like <laughs> so, like I don't, I don't really understand where that's coming from in terms of Shermer, like why that's the case. Um, because the Bron- he's not actually a good blocker. Um, and I say again, I'm a Noah Fant fan, but he's probably the worst blocker of the Broncos' tight ends. So it's really weird when the Broncos keep him in to block TJ Watt, but they've done yeah. <laughs> that quite a bit. They've, they've, they've asked him to, to help out on that um, more than I would have expected, but, gotcha. but I definitely think you're, it's fair. Definitely. He's kind of up and down in terms of his production. So I'm curious, you're telling, you're saying, you know, no fans kind of more the dump, dump off guy. Uh, I'm not going to even try and pronounce his last name, but Albert O uh, yeah. is Albert O kind of more the vertical guy. Cause he was a similar player coming out of Missouri where he was like the, that freak of nature that could move and run a little bit. Well, in the first game of the year, there was definitely some glimpses of what Shermer could do out of like 12 personnel with them because both Alberto and Noah Fant, they have like that same skill set where they're too big for most DBs, way too quick, way too fast for most linebackers. Um, and at the beginning of the year, we saw that with Fant on a like a Y like stretch um, where he like went across the formation and then kind of worked his way back up. Gotcha. And they use, and I want to say it was Hamler. I don't have it off the top of my head but I think they used Hamler to kind of draw attention away from him. And all of a sudden Fant was wide open. They just created a big play. They've had glimpses of that with Alberto. Um, but it's a similar story where they've, they've used Alberto. If he's in, they usually use one of the tight ends as like a chip. And then the other guy is a dump off or he's playing on a crosser or like he's on a hand route where he sits. Like they're, they're not using the tight ends as like a vertical threat as often as I would have expected. Gotcha. Well, let's turn our attention to the ground game for a minute. Javante Williams, he was a guy I really liked coming out of North Carolina. He seems like to be a really big part of the offense for the Broncos so far this season. Can you talk about how the rookie has done so far and kind of what makes him so special? Uh, so what makes him special, there's two parts to it. Elite contact balance, and I don't say that lightly. Like, I, yeah. I, I, when I scout all these guys, you know. On my scale, elite is the top that you get. It's a seven-point scale, like. Very, very good contact balance was true at North Carolina and it's held up in the league. Um, You look at his highlight tape and that's what's showing up is the fact he's able to carry guys. He breaks a tackle and all of a sudden he's in space. Um, His explosiveness is very good. Like he's very, like those are the two things that are really showing up, but the Broncos trust him. Um, The Broncos put him on the field on third downs. Uh, He's a good pass protector. He has the skill set to become even better. He has good hands. He's a capable tertiary receiver. They don't ask him to run a lot of routes. They tend to use him on like screens or dump offs. Um, that's what they do with Melvin Gordon as well, but he's very capable of that. Um, the big issues that have shown up is uh, his decision-making slash vision. There's times where the Broncos are running like inside zone or outside zone, and he doesn't go to the right hole. Um, so like there, if, if the Broncos give him the ball a decent bit against you guys, and I expect it, you'll probably get some two yard or less runs where he just busts. Um, sure. But then all of a sudden he'll go for a big gain. That's kind of the, the payoff you get with them. Gotcha. So I'm curious how the Broncos have kind of used their two running backs. You bring up Melvin Gordon, who's obviously been a pretty good running back in the AFC West for a few, for a lot of years now. Um, so it seems like 
And from what I've seen, you know, Gordon seems to have those like big runs at the end of the games to seal the wins for the Broncos. So is he more of the closer and like Williams is kind of like the opener? Is that kind of how they balance those two guys out? Uh, so they, they're basically a 50, 50 timeshare. Uh, the Broncos, from what I've been able to tell from the last two games, um, they're basically just hand, like one drive. Melvin Gordon is playing second drive. Javante Williams is in. If they, if the drive goes on for a while and they need a breather, they'll rotate out. But otherwise it's kind of like the back comes out. That's when they switch. Um, as of right now, Melvin Gordon has 60 rushing attempts. Uh, Javante Williams has 54. Gordon has 13 targets. Javante Williams has 12. Like it's literally gotcha. just right down the middle. Um, wow. Honestly, if anything, my big complaint is that Gordon has actually been more consistent. Um, he's not as explosive. He's He doesn't have the same highlights. I know he had the touchdown in week one. Mm-hmm. But but by and large, Williams is definitely the more exciting runner. Uh, but there's definitely been some times where Melvin Gordon has like three or four carries in the first half. He's very effective, and then he just doesn't see the ball again. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of like, I don't know, I thought it was a little interesting when they drafted Javante. I'm like, you know, having Melvin Gordon there. Like, I feel like if you're going to you're gonna give this guy the rock and whatnot, if you're going to let him work out his kinks, you got to gotta take the training wheels off a little bit and kind of work let him work it out. You know, you're talking about, him missing missing holes and whatnot, getting two yards, like, but you kind of got to play the odds a little bit there with them and play to give him some a few more touches almost. But well, I mean, Gordon's one of my it done. one of my big complaints with that, and and again, I haven't gotten the all twenty two for this week yet. I'm kind of waiting to get it. Um, but what I've seen on you know the broadcast and like all the other games, the Broncos are giving Javante Williams more zone carries than I expected based on what he showed at North Carolina because it's not a surprise that he's having issues with the decision-making and zone plays. Like he was doing that with the Tar Heels. Um, when the Broncos traded up to draft him, I expected them to have a plan for that and like give him gap runs because that's where he really excels. And gotcha. they, they've, they've done it in spurts, but yeah, like he's definitely, he's getting a lot more zone carries than I expected. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Awesome. Well, let's move on to the to Denver's uh, offensive line. And the first guy I want to talk about was Garrett Bowles, who I feel like has had kind of a similar career trajectory as Raiders Colton Miller. You know, they've yeah. made a lot of growth since their rookie years. And, you know, they've kind of both blossomed into two of the better young tackles in the league. And I think if you go look at the uh, at over the cap, they're going to be up there in the pay charts. So uh, they're uh, living large right now. So, you know, can you talk about the growth that Bowles has made over the last few years and, you know, the kind of the different player that, uh, he was as a rookie to what he is now. So since Mike Munchak was hired as the Broncos offensive line coach, I feel like Garrett Bowles has done a much better job with his feet. Uh, first and foremost, he's done a better job of staying in front of people, um, which has put him in less situations where he has to hold to win the rep. Um, his hands have also obviously improved. Uh, one of the things I used to, I used to call this like in, in Broncos country, we kind of do this. Garrett Bowles used to have these plays where he'd just wrap his arm around a guy as he's walking around him. <laughs> and we'd call him like the Wrangler. Cause it just looked like he was just like trying to like hook you and like keep you from going. Um, he hasn't done that as much uh, lately, like the last two years, I would say that last year 
Uh, Garrett Bowles was kind of helped and probably protected a little bit by the fact that the league de-emphasized holding. Um, so this year there has been more penalties. He's given up more sacks, stuff like that. And part of that, I think, is the fact that the league is not doing that this year. Um, and he definitely, his hands are probably closer to solid than they are like good. Um, mm-hmm. So I do actually have some current concerns about Garrett Bowles against Max Crosby and Yannick. Uh, but I, I'm, I mean, this isn't to say, you know, I'm hating him trying to run him out of town by any means. I think mm-hmm. he's a capable run blocker. Um, pretty solid, capable pass blocker. Bron- Broncos, probably the Broncos best pass blocker. Um, but as far as a run blocker goes, he's a better positional player than he is a power guy. Um, he's not going to necessarily like, drive you off the ball that far, but he'll do a good job staying in front of you with his feet. And then he does a good job doubling down and getting to the second level on his own plays. Gotcha. Well, you, you bring up, you know, Yannick and Max Crosby. So I'm curious, you know, what kind of guys have given, uh, given bulls trouble in the past on, as a uh, pass rusher? Is it the speed rush guys or is it the, the power rusher guys more? So I would say the guys who can match his length, and then also have quick twitch uh, in years past, like not this season, what teams were doing to try and exploit bulls is they were wa- lining someone up in a wide nine who could move uh, Olivier Vernon uh, for the Browns back when he was there. Um, mm-hmm. They were doing that a decent bit. They tried to do that to him uh, in 2019. It was very effective. Uh, Max Crosby in that 2019 game, it was a similar story where he was rushing wide and it just caused bulls to have to do the reach because he couldn't get out in his mm-hmm. kick slide fast enough. His kick slide has since improved. So that, that shouldn't necessarily be like the, the, the recipe. Um, but he had issues with Lorenzo Carter. Um, and again, Lorenzo Carter is not necessarily a big name, uh, but it was a similar story where Lorenzo Carter is pretty quick and he can bend. And that's what makes me kind of nervous about Yannick because Yannick can bend. Yeah. Uh, so that is going to be a matchup that I, I think Broncos fans should probably sweat a little bit. Gotcha. Well, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm really excited to see that one, you know, that's uh, I always like seeing, you know, two elite guys go at it. So it'll be a pretty fun one and one we get to see twice, hopefully. So another guy I want to talk about is going to be Dalton Reisner, who I really liked coming out of Kansas State. And it looks like he's kind of become a staple of the Broncos offensive line. Can you tell us how he impacts the offense? A lot of ways. I, in a lot of ways, I feel like Dalton Reisner is kind of foundational to the Broncos ground game. Um, he He's good at the point of attack. He's he's plays angry. So he's one of those guys that he's going to block down. And he's going to work to stay on his guys. Nice grip strength. Um, good play strength. Uh, but then what really makes him special. And this is one of the reasons why Broncos fans have really attached to him. Other than the fact he's local. Um, he's really good as a lead blocker and Mike Munchak for a long time. That's what they were using. They would, they would pull him on power or on counter uh, OH and have him lead the way. And then, you know, whoever else kind of creep up behind him. Um, the one thing that Broncos fans have not, I don't think they've come to grips with this yet though. I would say he's a solid pass blocker, but there's definitely like notable weaknesses in his game as a pass blocker. That's why he's a guard, not a tackle. Um, his foot speed isn't really fast. Um, so quick twitch guys will give him issues and the, the Broncos opponents that have given him the issues that kind of really jump out to me. The Packers did this a couple years ago. They moved to Darius Smith inside, uh, the, uh, Bills with Ed Oliver did this as well. Um, this is actually one of the reasons why Maurice Hurst gave him some issues at one point because Maurice Hurst is pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that you guys don't have him anymore is actually really good <laughs> for me. Uh, good player. Uh, but yeah, I would say, I would say probably the Broncos second best lineman. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I'm going to have to pat myself on the back here a little bit. Uh, his, uh, Reisner's year was the first year I got it really into the draft and, uh, 
I remember watching when I said, kind of said the same thing. I'm like, this guy's going to be a guard, but he's going to be one hell of a guard. He just can't, doesn't have the feet to play tackle and whatnot. So yep. little, uh, gotta, you know, celebrate your victories, take a victory lap every now and again. Right. Definitely. Awesome. And as a, as a former D3 player myself and someone who was all aboard the Quinn Miners train uh, at the senior bowl, I've got to ask how he's been doing. And I think he made his first NFL start a few weeks ago. Is that if I'm not uh, mistaken? Yep. He, uh, he had his first start against Baltimore and I was very, very nervous about that game. Uh, because, and you know, this, uh, coming out of Wisconsin, Whitewater, he did not play at all last year. Yep. Um, in camp, all the reports were that he was going to need a red shirt year. They looked in way in over his head. Um, in the preseason, when he was playing center, it was kind of like one good play followed by one bad play. When he played left guard, he looked okay. Um, but you, again, you kind of, you listen to all the reports and then you're kind of still sweating. Um, and he definitely, he had 25 snaps going into that Baltimore game based on because of the injury to Dalton Reisner in the previous game. But again, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, at this point, I would say he's the Broncos third best guard. And if Graham Glasgow's issues, uh, continue to kind of persist, I could see them kind of trying to find a way to get minors on the field sooner rather than later. Um, we'll see on that in, you know, in that regard, but he's a bully at the point of attack. He did a good job picking up stunts. I was really impressed with that um, just because Baltimore did try to test him. But at one point he, he handled the penetrator and then quickly kind of handed off and quickly got out to get the looper. And I was really impressed by it. Cause I did not expect that at all. Awesome. Well, some good news sprinkled in there. I'm glad to see he's uh, developing. And I feel like that's kind of what you got to take with someone like that from a small school. And like you said, yeah. didn't play football last year. So is there anyone else? I know you brought up Graham Glassell. Is there anyone else on the Broncos offensive line that Raider fans should know about? Uh, Bobby Massey's the other tackle. Um, just be, and I only bring this up because we, I, I am actually quite concerned about y'all's, uh, edge rushers. Um, and I think that that's going to be one of those X factors in this game. Uh, Bobby Massey is probably the Bronco, like similar to Teddy Bridgewater. Bobby Massey is probably the Broncos best right tackle since paint Manning was playing. Um, but that actually speaks more to the fact that John Elway just did an abysmal job at finding a right tackle. <laughs> um, Bobby Massey's probably about adequate. He's a little bit hovering around league average, um, long, doesn't always play as long as he is. Um, but he tries, he knows how to, you know, he knows how to play the position. He can be overpowered if somebody can match his length and get up into his body. Um, so that is a concern for me against, uh, Max Crosby because Crosby can definitely do that. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, I like to hear it. And it's a, it's a nice change of pace for Broncos fans to be worried about the Raiders edge rushers instead of the other way around. Right. Well, I guess we're still worried about Vaughn Miller, but, uh, uh, hate injuries, but seeing the, uh, Seeing Bradley Chubb go down was is definitely makes the Raiders' job a little bit easier. So, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, well, let's shift gears to that defense and talk about the guy I just brought up, Von Miller. Been doing it for years. I don't really know if I have a question about Von at this point. Like he just he just murders everyone. But I guess is is there any chance that maybe he's going to slow down at some point? Like I mean, the guy just doesn't seem to have an off switch and seems to be doing it for for a while now. Uh, I don't expect him to slow down this game. Um, I'm actually really hopeful that you guys start Brandon Parker just because I think <laughs> Von Miller is going to abuse the heck out of Brandon Parker. Um, that said, I think Carr is going to probably play quick game to try and mitigate that a little bit. Um, Carr's done a good job of that in his career to date. Otherwise, you know, it's kind of helped Vaughn from having career games every single time he's played against Parker. Um, but no, I expect Vaughn to look really good. The other thing that they're going to do to try and maximize him, Fangio is doing this the last couple games since Chubb's been hurt is uh, they're kind of starting to revert back to what they were doing in 2020 without Vaughn, which was they were playing a lot more tackle end stunts. Um, and Vaughn's very effective at rushing inside. 
the other thing they're doing is they're bringing Alexander Johnson down. And what they'll do is they'll occupy a blocker off the protection scheme, whether he's going or not, because Alexander Johnson's such a good blocker. He's a middle linebacker, mm-hmm. um, but he's such a good blitzer that the protection scheme has to account for him. Well, what ends up happening is it leaves one-on-ones for other people, which helps Vaughn because Vaughn one-on-one situation is going to win. But that is actually one of those situations where I'm really curious about the play calling in this game too, just because all year long teams have started to run a lot more bunch, like close bunch sets or double tight ends, like double Y to one side with the idea that somebody's going to get a body on Miller and they're trying to kind of like change up who he's, who's blocking him. So he, he can't account for it all the time. Um, the Steelers did a really good job of that. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing that uh, is probably going to make you happy. Uh, in the Chicago game, the uh, Bears ran an ET stunt with Khalil Mack and Brandon Parker and Alex Leatherwood on the right side. And yep. Khalil Mack destroyed uh, Alex Leatherwood because Brandon Parker just let him straight out to dry and Khalil Mack got a sack. So. Uh, now, now that you say that, now that you say that's part of the Broncos game plan, now I'm, I'm very worried, but uh, hopefully we get that figured out. So we talked about it with Bradley Chubb obviously being injured again, and it seems like him and Miller have kind of always gotten this hype as a top pass rushing duo. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, they've only really played like one full season together, right, out of four? They, uh, they, played, one full, they played one full season together when Bradley Chubb was a rookie. And then Vic Fangio was hired and everybody, you know, was elated because Vic Fangio with these two edge rushers. And then they've had four games together uh, in 2019, back before the Broncos had a secondary. (laughs) And they have since had part of the Jaguars game since. Gotcha. Is that, I mean, how frustrating is that? Like to that, and it's not even like just one of them, right? Getting injured. It's like, they've all, they've been injured at opposite times. Is that frustrating as a fan? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's frustrating as a fan. And then in terms of like what I do, you know, my job, I keep feeling like, almost like I'm lying. Cause I keep saying like this Broncos defense could be special and it could, but they're just <laughs> never, they never have their best players all healthy at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can imagine, you know, even just dealing with the Raiders injuries and how maddening that would just be. So I am curious though, you know, who has replaced Chubb in the starting lineup and if that's, you know, how that player has been able to fill his shoes and whatnot this year. Yeah. Um, Malik Reed has been the one that stepped in. He has played a lot the last couple of years. Uh, he's an undrafted free agent out in Nevada. Uh, came in as a rookie when Bradley Chubb got hurt. And then last year when Vaughn was hurt, it was Bradley Chubb and Malik Reed. And then this year now, obviously Malik Reed is taking over for Chubb again. Um, I don't know how much you scouted Reed. I like him. Um, he's a good rusher. He's I don't know why, how he ended up going undrafted, but in terms of like, and I have to say this just because there are corners of Broncos country that seems to think that he's better than Bradley Chubb. He's not. Um, And I say this, like, again, I say this as a fan of his, but he doesn't have the same kind of play strength. Um, He can be overpowered. uh, Whereas Bradley Chubb has a little bit more heft. Um, So, and that shows up mostly against like gap scheme against double teams. Uh, The other thing is Malik Reed. He's quick. But the way he creates sacks most often is through stunts. So what ends up happening when Fangio dials up a stunt or as a second effort rusher, Reed can chase guys down and he will. Like he has really high, a good motor, but he's not necessarily like Von Miller where he's just going to like throw your hands and get past you right away. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. That doesn't happen very often. Gotcha. Well, the rest of Denver's defensive line doesn't have like a lot of big names per se, but there are some pretty quality players. So can you briefly touch on, you know, what the rest of the line uh, brings to the table for the defense? Uh, The big one you guys are going to have to probably worry about is Draymond Jones. 
Um, and that is probably not a household name because he has not had a lot of sacks this year. But, I mean, he's beating Von Miller off the snap pretty regularly at this point. Uh, very good hands, very good rush moves. And he's kind of like, he's like a rat. He'll slip through the door. Like he just like slips underneath. <laughs> um, Shelby Harris is the bigger name. Uh, very good gap shooter. Um, the depth on the Broncos defensive line is pretty notable. Um, they have Mike Brissell and Shamar Stefan, who are both those tackles are pretty good. Deshaun Williams is the fifth guy. He's about 290 pounds. He's an effort rusher. Um, he, he's a better pass rusher than run defender, but he's capable. Um, and then the last guy, he, I don't even know if he'll be active, but, uh, McTelvin Ajim, uh, talent alone. I feel like he's one of the better of the four, like one of the better of the, them, but he just hasn't been active because he hasn't kind of come on like the rest of them have yet. Um, Broncos interior defensive line has kind of underperformed so far this year. They've gotten decent pressure, but they have not gotten sacks. Gotcha. Well, awesome. So then at linebacker is kind of another Bronco. That's a, you know, an under the radar guy. And that's Alexander Johnson. You talked about him a little bit before. So I'm gonna give you a chance you know, what, uh, give him the spotlight a little bit. What what does he bring to the table? Cause he's a, He's always one of those guys that's been one of the top of the charts PFF wise and whatnot and shown up on some highlights. So he is an elite run defender. Um, he is probably one of the, probably actually he may very well be the best run defender of the Broncos, um, him or Vaughn, but uh, not necessarily like if you turned on Madden, you'll probably hate him just because he's probably <laughs> like an 80 speed guy. Um, he's not necessarily really fast, but he plays fast. Um, very, very good into contact, very good at disengaging off blocks. Very good uh, blitzing. I already mentioned that, uh, but he's better in coverage than he gets credit for. Um, the Fangio system does protect him some. He's not going to end up in one-on-one coverage, you know, man-to-man very often. But he does a good job getting to his depth for his drops. Knows how to play in zone. Um, good at chasing down dump offs to the backs. Good at staying with tight ends. And he'll contest cover, like he'll contest catches. He'll st- his uh, he'll reach his hand in to contest the ball. Sorry. Um, but yeah, he's, he's really good. I would say he's probably a top 10 linebacker in the league. Awesome. Well, are there any other linebackers for that Raider fans should know about for Sunday? Uh, the other guy, and you guys are probably going to try and exploit him a little bit. Josie Jewell got hurt earlier this year. The Broncos have replaced him with Justin Sternod, not as experienced. Um, he's playing pretty okay, but he's not the run defender that Josie Jewell was. Um, he's maybe a little bit better in coverage in terms of athletic skill set but he doesn't read the field quite as quickly yet. Um, he's very inexperienced. He was hurt all of last year. Uh, the Raiders game, I'm, I want to say it's his third start. So okay. he's still kind of fa- finding his way. Gotcha. Well, let's go talk about the Denver secondary, which I mean, probably with Bradley Chubb out, probably the best, the, the strength of the team right now and strength of the, of the air, the strongest position group, at least for the Broncos. And I mean, I'm just curious, if you were an NFL offensive coordinator, how would you attack this this uh, this secondary for the Broncos? I would probably turn on the Steelers game plan uh, just because I thought Matt Canada did a really good job of catching them out of position a couple times. Uh, and part of this is, it, and again, like I like the Fangio defense a lot, but it was one of those things where the Steelers knew that the Broncos were in cover six, uh, the first long bomb against Kyle Fuller. They knew the Broncos were in cover six. What they did is they occupied the safety with a vertical going out of the number two receiver spot. What ended up happening is because the Broncos are in cover six, the safety comes down to pick up that number two receiver, which creates a one-on-one situation on the outside with the cornerback. Kyle Fuller has been better than Broncos fans seem to think, but Kyle Fuller is not a guy you want running 50 yards downfield anymore. 
Gotcha. Um, and that, and teams have tried to attack Den- Denver with that this year. Happened week one. I think it's a, happened each week outside of the Ravens game. Awesome. Gotcha. Well, we'll see what what the uh, guys got rugs. I could definitely see it happening. We do. Uh, we'll see what uh, old Greg Olson can uh, dial up. Um, but so Patrick Sertan the second off to a pretty good uh, start to his career. Can you talk about you know what he's brought to the Broncos defense so far and what makes him so good? Oh yeah, it's a long list. Um, <laughs> Patrick Sertan, his ability to match and mirror is really really good. Um, for a rookie, I I don't remember seeing a rookie that's as good at staying on people as he is. Um, he he can be beat. Um, he's not laterally. He's not elite in terms of speed. Probably good. Um, so he, he's a taller corner, and that can get you. So him on rugs might be interesting. Uh, Renfro might be interesting because just because Renfro's really quick, he's a water bug. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of like his body type, he can play with any of the taller receivers in the league. Uh, Chase Claypool couldn't get open on him. Uh, the issues, um, and again, I always try, I, I don't, I always come out as kind of critical for this, but like he, he needs to improve as a tackler um, in terms of like just reliability as a tackler. It doesn't need to be, you know, you know, hammerhead or anything, but I could definitely see him improving there, but just in terms of just coverage. Yeah. He's going to be special. Gotcha. So we can't ignore Kyle Fuller and, Kyle and Bryce Callahan either. And I mean, you already touched a little bit on Kyle Fuller, but can you talk about at least what Bryce Callahan, who Bryce Callahan is a player and how the Broncos use him? Yeah. Callahan is the Broncos nickel this year, just because they actually have boundary corners. So that's going to be a change from the last two times the Broncos have played the Raiders just because Callahan last year was playing outside and then kind of had to move in once in a while because the Broncos didn't have anybody else. Uh, and because Callahan's in the nickel, I think a lot of fans have kind of forgotten about him but he's still playing very, very well. Um, a little undersized. He's like five, nine on a good day, uh, but he's like glue. He stays right on your pocket. He plays hard. He's like one of those guys who will reach in and fight with any size athlete. Um, if you want to see the best play probably of his career, go back and watch his pick on Mike Williams um, from last year's Chargers game. Uh, he went up and beat Mike Williams for the ball. Uh, yeah, he's good. Uh, probably one of the best nickels in the league. Yeah, at five nine, going up and uh, out high pointing Mike Williams at what? Who's going to be? What is he like six four or something? That's a, yeah. that's pretty impressive. That guy's got some ups. So Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson are two underappreciated safeties, but two of the better players at the position. Can you talk about how they complement each other and what makes each of them great individually? So I'll start with Justin Simmons, just because Justin Simmons is the better of the two. Uh, in terms of like actual charting numbers, I actually think he's probably having a down year because he's kind of trying to make up for. Like, again, the coverage rules for the Fangio defense, he'll come in and all of a sudden it'll be on him that something ends up complete. Uh, but if you look beyond the numbers, Justin Simmons is kind of like what makes the Broncos defense work on the back end just because he's able to play single high. He can play split field. He can rotate down and play like an extra linebacker. He can actually man up on slot receivers. Uh, the Broncos in the past, this is a couple years back now, they actually used him as a cornerback in 2018 just because they had so many injuries at the position. I don't think he'd be a good cornerback full-time, but he can be a good coverage player on the right matchups. Um, so I just, yeah, he does it all. Um, I would say if he's not the best safety in the in football, he's on the very short list. Um, Kareem Jackson is a former cornerback. Uh, probably doesn't have the same wheels anymore to stick on guys like a cornerback should. That's why he moved back. But you never guess that he's a former cornerback just based on like the way he hits. Um, probably the hardest hitter on the Broncos outside of Alexander Johnson. 
uh, and just both of them do this, but he's, he's spectacular to watch the way they fill against the run. Watching Kareem Jackson fill against the run is really fun just because he's just, it, it looks like he's recklessly just charging at the line, but it's under control. Um, so he does a really good job at that. Um, he, he does a good job contesting catches in terms of like, he'll hit somebody to try and separate them from the ball. Um, you can go up on him just because he's not tall. Um, so that is kind of a weakness. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're good. They're probably the best safety duo in the league. If not, again, they're one of the two or three best. Yeah. I I can't off the top of my head right now. I can't think of a better one. I mean, like you said, I mean, Justin Simmons, I think I'm a hundred percent in agree with you is definitely a top five, top three safety in this league. So. I always have to ask this who on the Broncos defense is going to draw the short straw and try and cover Darren Waller. Um, and how confident are you that Denver can uh, stop the Raiders superstar? So I'm going to start, I'm going to answer this backwards. I am not confident. They're going to stop. Him. <laughs> gotcha. uh, I'm not confident at all that they're going to stop him. I think it's going to be one of those things where the Broncos kind of try and survive him um, and kind of shut down everybody else around him because they're not going to be able to, they don't have one player who will be able to match up against Waller. It'll probably be a collective effort. Um, and then knowing that they don't have somebody who can just erase him, what they'll do is they'll try and probably play around it as much as they can. Uh, the one thing that could make that different, um, Ronald Darby's status is something to kind of keep an eye on. If Ronald Darby is cleared and activated before this game, we could see the Broncos break out the original dime personnel that they were going to have. Um, in camp, there was a lot of talk about the Broncos using dime with Patrick Sertan as the dime backer. Um, if that's the case, the Broncos will probably ask Patrick Sertan to run on Darren Waller quite a bit. Um, of the Broncos corners, he probably has the best skill set to do it. But when he's playing boundary, they can't they can't do that. They can't just have him follow because then they have to shift everybody else around it. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. But if but if it ends up being like it has been the last couple of weeks, I would think that they'll have a little bit of Stearns. Uh, Caden Stearns is a rookie safety who's playing dime mm-hmm. right now. They'll uh, they'll ask Alexander Johnson and Joe. Uh, Justin Sernod to like help out on their zones. The safeties will pick them up a little bit, but yeah, Darren Waller is going to probably get his. Gotcha. I would tell you, you bring up Sertan versus Waller. That'd be a matchup. I'd be really excited to watch. Same I mean, two guys. Yeah. I mean, obviously Waller's, you know, a little bit ahead of us or where Sertan is right now, but you know, Sertan, I think is definitely have a bright future ahead of him. So it'd be cool and fun to watch them go back and forth. I want to wrap things up by talking about Vic Fangio. He's kind of gotten the stigma that he's, you know, better suited to be a coordinator or a head coach. So I'm curious, do you agree with that statement? And then why or why not? This is one of those things where you're going to have to ask me again. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, a couple yeah. months, uh, I would say before the season started, I thought that that talk was a little bit too harsh just because, Fangio has had seven different quarterbacks since he was, this is before Bridgewater. He had seven different quarterbacks before his third season as a head coach. And most of them were bad, not only bad, but most of them were like laughably bad. (laughs) Um, The last, this last month though, has been pretty, pretty tough. um, Just because I thought the Ravens game, um, I disagreed with the game plan, but I thought it made sense. Uh, Lamar Jackson's an elite runner, make him win from the pocket, make him win as a passer. Well, unfortunately, he also had a back injury, and you kind of helped him by making it so he didn't have to tr- expose himself to hits. Um, the Broncos mm. slowed them down, but they they didn't do enough. Uh, but the Steelers game plan, again, I, I mentioned it earlier. Matt Canada got that one big play on Kyle Fuller, but later in the game, there was this play where uh, the Steelers came out in 12 personnel, two tight ends. They 
motion Chase Claypool across. All of a sudden, they created a three-by-one set, and the Broncos were in base personnel, so they were in their 3-4. When the Broncos are in their 3-4 defense, a lot of times one of the edge rushers ends up being like help in coverage. Um, And what ended up happening is Von Miller went out with Chase Claypool. Fangio at that point should have known, like, this is not going to be good. I should call a timeout. But he believed in his defense, and I get it. On one level, as a defensive coordinator, I get that you have faith in your system. I get that you have faith in Fangio or uh, in Von Miller. But from like a head coaching standpoint, like when your offense isn't moving the ball at all, and you hit get stuck in one of those plays where the potential for a big play is really high, you need to do something about it. So like stuff like that is really kind of people might have a reason to believe that Fangio's in over his head a little bit. I hope I hope not. I hope he kind of turns it on and, you know, blows you guys up and then the Broncos forget mm-hmm. all about this, but I'm definitely kind of curious to see how this goes. This looks like a turning point game for Denver. To counter your point about the game plan against the Ravens, maybe that was part of the reason, or maybe that's why they wanted to uh, keep them under hundred yards rushing. That was the game plan. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, do you think Fangio is uh, on the hot seat this year? And if so, what does he have to do to kind of, uh, uh, what does he have to do or what record does he have to have to, to keep his job? Playoffs are bust. It is. Um, and it has been since uh, George Payton. Again, Raiders fans, if you don't keep up with, you know, the day-to-day of all this, I don't blame you. Uh, but the Broncos hired a new GM in January last year, uh, which creates a weird situation just because John Elway and Joe Ellis, the Broncos, essentially their quote-unquote owner of sorts. Yeah. Um, both of them, Both of them are stepping out after this year. So it's creating a situation where George Payton is going to suddenly be the most powerful man in the building. And he didn't hire Fangio. Um, mm-hmm. And there's been enough reports from like local, like local insiders that essentially Payton's kind of taking this as a red shirt year of like kind of step in, get his footing, get kind of a feel for things. And if things don't go as he hopes, he can blow it all up and start the clock next year with his own guy. Um, so if Fangio doesn't make the playoffs and he may have to win a game in the playoffs, but if he doesn't make the playoffs, I think he's cooked. Gotcha. That's interesting. You know, I feel like it's kind of a, well, obviously things have changed a little bit now, but uh, kind of the same expectations for the Raiders a little bit in that playoffs or bust mindset. So again, another way the Raiders and the the Broncos are tied to each other this year. Definitely. Well, Joe, Joe, I appreciate you for coming on. Uh, One more time, where can uh, Raider Nation follow you and uh, get in your mentions for every week? I am at Joro underscore NFL on Twitter. Uh, I I'd like to say that I have a, a mutual, I, like I, I have some Raider fan friends. So if you <laughs> want to get in my mentions and complain or argue with me, I like talking about all this stuff. I try not to just be a dick. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I'm on Twitter there. Uh, I have a, the Broncos podcast at cover two Broncos. It's all one word. And then you can find all my writing at mile high report. I think you have a new uh, Twitter bio there, Joe, Joe Rouse, not a dick. I, it would, there would be people getting in my mentions just to argue that. <laughs> Good to hear. Well, awesome, guys. You know where to fi- follow me, Adam Holder 95 Of course, follow Silverman Black Pride. Excuse me, I can't believe I butchered our own site's name. But other than that, until next week, guys.